Amen, amen, amen. I'm glad to be here this morning. I'm a little fired up. I'm going to go ahead and admit that. Uh, was out last week and appreciate the time off. Got to go to Texas and see my family and spend some time with them. Uh, great time. Coach Wright filled in and did a great job, uh, as always. He may be the he may be the best preacher we have in this church. He's certainly not the prettiest preacher we have in this church, but he might be the best preacher we have in this church. And I appreciate his heart and willingness to serve. We'll, we'll reserve the prettiest preacher for, for Stuart. I wasn't saying it was me, I promise. Uh, but I'm glad to be here this morning. Uh, young and old and little babies all the way up and everything else, I, it's, it's exciting to be in the house. I know we've got a lot going on um, in our world, a lot going on locally in our community, people we know, people we love. And uh, it's a difficult time, and uh, being here and being in the house of the Lord is always encouraging to me, and seeing your faces is extremely encouraging. For those of you that aren't here in person, that are here through the camera, we appreciate you being here too, and appreciate Cody being behind the camera for us this morning, making that happen, but um, just glad to be here this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we'll dig in. Lord God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that Today, the words that are spoken from me will not be from me, Lord, but only through me and from you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you for this time and this institution you've put in place for our benefit, God. We pray that we would worship you this morning, even as we read your word, that we would consider it an act of service or an act of worship this morning, God. Thank you for all that you do. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So. Aaron, if you'll go ahead and click that uh, deal. Uh, life is hard, right? Life is hard. Uh, harder sometimes than others. Sometimes it seems like it's just getting harder. I don't know about you, but that's, that's definitely the way it's felt to me lately. It feels like life is not just hard, but it's getting harder on a regular basis. One thing I'm convinced of the last few months have, has, I always thought this, but I'm I'm convinced of it now. This is a completely side note to what we're talking about. But I'm convinced that human beings were not meant to have 24 access to worldwide news. We were, we were not made for that. We were not made to know what's going on in the entire world all the time because most of it that's reported is bad. And I think it is, it is overwhelming. It's overwhelming us as people. And the, the, the thing about that is we are willing participants in that, in that knowing so I think it would do us all a great deal if we just unplug from that a little bit. Like, turn off your news notifications. Don't get on whatever it is you get on and look. Like, just for a couple of days, just stop listening to it for a few days. Because, you know, we, we hear every single thing that happens all around the world, all the time. And that hasn't happened in history, but for just a very tiny sliver of time. And I don't think it's good for us. So, again, neither here nor there. But that's just something I've come to the conclusion of this week. But anyway, man, life is hard sometimes. It just it doesn't seem right. It's hard to reconcile things that happen to us or to those we love. It's hard. Many of you know that uh, my granddad, my papa, is currently fighting through COVID-19. He's one of the many in the nursing home that has recently uh, succumbed to that infection. This thing probably won't work again today. We're, we're on the last leg of this thing. I'm fixing to just burn it. I feel... <laughs> You're just going to have to click through it, Aaron. All right. So if you'll go to that next side. So this is a picture. If you were wondering how close we are, um, he didn't have a son. 
And I was the first grandson, and for the first 10 years of my life, we lived directly across the street from my granddad and my grandmother. So to say we're close would be an extreme understatement. We are very close, and he means the world to me. Many of you have checked on me, uh, asking about Papa, seeing how I'm doing in the last uh, few days and the last week, and I really appreciate your concern and your kind words. I know many of you didn't know that, and, and, and that's fine. Um, but those that did, that checked, I really appreciate that. He's doing okay. Uh, like I told Jan last week, um, you don't get to be 91 like he is or 104 like Miss Reba is without being pretty darn tough. Um, so he's, he's fighting it, and, and we'll, you know, hoping and praying that he makes it. Uh, and if he doesn't, then I'll see him one day in eternity. Um, this next picture is actually outside of Papa's house, um, and it's in the early 2000s. That's me when I was young, and yes, I had hair before you. I know Presley was thinking it, so I'll go ahead and say it. Uh, that's my mom in the middle there. Uh, that's obviously me and my sister and my, my brother right there uh, in the middle. As many of you know, in 2006, my brother ended his own life. Long story short, he had made some mistakes, got into a very bad way, didn't see a way out, and lost hope. Now, in a tragedy like that, people don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. They want to help, but they're just not sure how. (laughs) And I've learned in times like that, there isn't really anything you can say that will help. But there's a whole lot of things you can say to make it worse. We actually had a family friend uh, who was also my brother's, one of my brother's elementary teachers say this to our face. As a family sitting around, people bringing food, you know, the whole deal. To our face, she said, well, I just want you to know I didn't teach him that when he was in my class. <laughs> Whew, that's a load off. You know, that's what I was wondering if you taught him that in his elementary class. Thank you for clearing that up for us. I honestly didn't say, I didn't say a word. I was just dumbfounded. I, was, I couldn't believe the words that my ears were hearing. My brain couldn't comprehend them. And she honestly meant well. She just didn't know what to say. She didn't want to do, know what to do. And who does know what to do in a time like that? What do we do? How can we, how can we make it through hard things like that? How can we, how can we help each other and help others Make it through things like that. Before we dive into, into the scripture this morning, I'm going to just offer a couple of tangents kind of around that subject. Often, what we call good things, why do, why do good things happen to bad people? People say that a lot. Often, what we call good things are really just temporary worldly blessings. And we get caught up in wondering why that happens. It's temporary worldly blessings. Some people have things, some people don't. It's temporary worldly blessings. Second, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. God provides for, for, for those we think deserve his provision, and he provides for those we think he, that they don't deserve his provision. The, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Third, God tells us to love our enemies. Doesn't he? Plain and simple in the New Testament. It says, love your enemies, not just those who love you or us. How hypocritical would it be of God if nothing good ever happened to, quote, bad people. And what's your definition of good and bad? What's my definition of good and bad people? How do we feel okay making that judgment about people? Okay, now all that was for free. That didn't cost you a thing. Hadn't, that's 
kind of the side note to what we're actually going to talk about, but just things that are on my heart. Obviously, we're going through a lot, and there's a lot on my heart. But the point is, in life, there are obvious times when someone is suffering through something through no real fault of their own. Why? Why is that? And how do we deal with this? And how do we help? We're looking at Isaiah this morning. You can see the different places we'll be on the screen. We're looking at Isaiah, and before we dig into that, let's, let's look at the big picture of Isaiah. Okay? It's a huge book. It's the most quoted book in the New Testament of the Old Testament. It's a big book. And there's a lot going on. So Isaiah, real quick, lived in about in the 700s B.C. He prophesied about things that happened in the 500s B.C. He prophesied about things that happened in Jesus' time. And he prophesied about things that still have not happened yet. Okay? So the big theme of Isaiah is that Israel has rejected God, and because of that, judgment is coming. But in, through, and beyond that judgment, there is hope. Judgment is coming, but there is hope. If you wanted to put Isaiah in one sentence, judgment is coming, but there is hope. Isaiah predicts that Israel would be conquered by and exiled to the Babylonians purified through punishment, and eventually God would remove the old Jerusalem and make a new Jerusalem, which is later revealed in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, to be a new creation altogether, not just a new physical city like was thought of early on. And the hope was that God would fulfill His covenant promises. That's the hope of Isaiah and the hope of Scripture and the hope of all of us, that God would fulfill His covenant promises. That would be that that God would send a suffering king, in the line of David, to rule over this new Jerusalem. That Israel, God's people, excuse me, would finally obey the covenant and God's ways, allowing them to experience life the way God wanted and the way God designed. And that God's blessings would be extended to all nations of the world, or to all people of the world would be another way to say it. That's the hope that's expressed in, excuse me, Isaiah. So when we jump into Isaiah this morning, we are after the judgment and the exile of Jerusalem, of Judah, and the suffering servant's mission is being described where we start in 49.6 today. He says, he says that would be God. He says, it is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So the servant would redeem all nations. It was for everybody. It's explained in Israel. The servant that is coming would not just be for Israel. It would be for all people. Next slide, moving to 53. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 1, if you've got your copy. If not, it's on the screen. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Now, this is still on the subject of the suffering servant. Who has believed what we have heard? And who has the arm of the Lord who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, by men, and a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness. And he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was pierced because of our transgressions, 
crushed because of our iniquities, punished for our peace. Punishment for our peace was on him. And yes, you and I are included in that hour. And then a familiar passage describing the world of this suffering servant. Okay, moving on in, uh, in uh, verse 10. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a restitution offering, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and by his hand the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. He will see it out of his anguish, and he will satisfy with his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Verse 12, Therefore I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil. Because he submitted himself to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. When I read that at first, I'm like, wait, what? What? God was pleased to crush him? What? Well, here's something that you and I struggle with. We struggle in our pride that God is God and we are not. When you get into struggles, when we get into the hard times, the rough things, the things we don't understand, we, we, we say, why, God? I don't understand. And we struggle with the fact that God is God and we are not. We want to be sometimes. We think what a disaster of it we would make if we were. Psalm, the next slide, Aaron, Psalm 115, 2 and 3 says, Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him God can do whatever he wants why because he is God and you and I are not but don't get it twisted right here in this scripture okay it pleased God to crush him not to crush him because of what would not to crush him but because of what would come from crushing him it wasn't that God enjoyed what was going to happen to the suffering servant He didn't enjoy that. He enjoyed it because he knew what it would produce. God is a big God with big plans and big wisdom and big goodness. You look again there in verse 12. It pleased him because the result would be this suffering servant would be exalted, lifted high. And because he bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. Bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. That's you. And that's me. That's who the suffering servant is going to be crushed for. The sins of many and, and the rebels. Rebels against God. You and I. Now, if you'll flip over to chapter 61. Okay? That was God describing something about the servant and what he would do. Now, this is actually in the first person. This is the servant speaking about himself. Through Isaiah, mind you. But it speak, it's the servant speaking about himself. The suffering servant speaking about himself and his mission. It says the Spirit, verse 1, 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify 
him. Now, this, this messianic king, this anointed king, this suffering servant, all these descriptions, all these descriptions were in the eyes of Israel in the time of Isaiah, and from the 500s B.C. and on, they were clearly describing the Messiah. Clearly. The anointed one of God, the Savior of Israel and the world, the King of the New Jerusalem, where God would draw all His people to Him in a new creation. There's no debate that that is what is being described, who is being described. The only question was for Israel from the 500s B.C. on was who, not what. They knew a messianic king, an anointed king, a savior of them and the world was coming. Isaiah had predicted it in the 700s B.C. They were exiled and then came back in the 500s B.C. just like he said it would. And then he said, sometime after you coming back from exile, this suffering servant is coming. And here's what's going to happen to him. Now, I've read in different places that in, in Jewish synagogues to this day, they just don't read Isaiah 53. They don't read it. Because you can't read it and not see who it's talking about. It's plain as day. I've, I've actually heard those words come out of a Jewish man that became a Christian because of Isaiah 53. <laughs> he, he said, I just never heard, heard it before. A, a, a Christian friend of mine asked me, how do you explain Isaiah 53? And he read it, and I said, I've never heard it before. We've never said that before in our synagogue. So there's no doubt, there's no debate about what's being described and what's supposed to happen. The only question was who. Okay, so now we're going to turn over to Luke 4. And here, Jesus has just recently finished being tempted by Satan in all ways and not falling to that temptation while he was fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. So he's just, he just finished that. He's just recently started his public ministry. News is spreading about him. And now as news is spreading about this guy, this Jesus, he heads to his hometown. That's where we pick it up there in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It says, He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, hometown. As usual, I love that. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Did you catch that? As usual, Jesus went to church. In case we're going to miss that, make sure we don't miss that. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. Remember, no verses, chapters, just scrolls, had to find it. And he finds the place where it was written. Verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Stand up to preach, sit down to teach. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being in that synagogue that day? Every Jewish person... For seven centuries at least, every father has told every child, every grandfather has reminded every grandchild that this day is coming. Someday we're not going to be 
the oppressed people. Someday the Messiah, the anointed one of God, is coming and things are going to change. Someday it's happening. Everybody is told, everybody, for generations after generation after generation, and then Jesus stands up in the synagogue of his hometown, reads Isaiah, a passage of Scripture that they would all know exactly what he was saying, what he was implying, that he is that messianic king. He is that suffering servant. He is that anointed one of God. They would all know. What a moment. What do the people do? Fall at his feet? Praise God? Praise God, the suffering servant, the deliverer Messiah of Isaiah's prophecy is finally here. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, God. You're finally here to do what you said you were going to do. Is that what they did? Verse 22. They were all speaking well of him at first. That's my translation. And were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this just that regular dude? Where does he come off? Messiah. Then he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Doctor, heal yourself. So all we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. He also said, I assure you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath and Sidon. Verse 27, And in the prophet Elijah's time, there were many in Israel who had serious skin diseases or leprosy, yet not one of them was healed, only Naaman, the Syrian. Verse 28, When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They were enraged. You're going to bless the Gentiles? You're going to bless the Gentiles? We've been waiting 700 years for you to bless us. Do a trick for us. Amuse us. Bless us. Make us happy. That's what we want. And you're talking about blessing our enemies? Jesus says, I'm here to seek that which is lost and safe. I'm here for the humble in spirit. I'm here to comfort the mourning. I'm here to bind up or to heal the brokenhearted. You just want a magic trick. That's, that's my translation of what he just said. You don't want what I'm really here for. You just want all the little fringe benefits. You just kind of want to observe this Jesus thing. And maybe if a little bit of the good stuff can spill onto you, that's what you're here for. That's not why I'm here, Jesus says. My followers will, my followers will see me suffer. And they will know that they have to suffer a little while also. But there is hope, just like in Isaiah. There is hope. You see, back in verse 19, when Jesus is, is, is quoting or reading from, he's not quoting, he's reading from Isaiah, the scroll. Jesus stopped when he was reading Isaiah. If you notice there, if you compare Isaiah to what he says, he stopped in the middle of what our verse is. Stopped right in the middle of the verse. The last half of that verse in verse 19 in Isaiah says, and the day of our God's vengeance. That he, he said, I'm here to proclaim the year of our Lord, the celebration of our Lord, saying that the year of Jubilee, basically, the time where everything's made right. But he, but he stops before he gets to that part where he says, and the day of our God's vengeance. It wasn't then when Jesus was saying it, and it still isn't yet 
time for God's vengeance on the wicked, on the proud, on the hard-hearted that have rejected Jesus. Not that time yet. So suffer now because there is hope. Because that time is coming. God's vengeance that is coming, he will make a new creation. In God's vengeance that is coming, he will make a new creation. All things made new and right. Where his suffering servant king will be joined by his suffering servant followers and rule and reign in a new creation forevermore. Okay, check out verse, I didn't put it up there for a reason. Check out on the screen, verse, uh, Revelation 21, verse 1. This is almost a paraphrase of what Isaiah talks about in chapter 65. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, see, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. See, it's not a remade, man-made creation. It's a thing from God. His kingdom is from Him, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice say from the throne, Whoo! Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief and crying and pain will exist no longer, because the previous things have passed away. It's coming. It's coming. The new creation is coming. The thing that all this suffering for is worth is coming. The question is, what are we doing until then? Sitting around complaining about suffering? Or understanding that it's just part of it? The thing I've learned about life in my 37 fast years, it's suffering either way. That's the part nobody ever stops and thinks about. It's suffering either way. You can suffer with God and for God, or you can suffer without Him for yourself. But you're going to suffer either way. It's a simple world. It's a fallen world. Bad things happen to, to everybody. Good things happen to everybody. You're going to suffer regardless. You can either suffer with purpose and meaning and with God right beside you helping you through it, or you can suffer for no reason because when you die, that's it. If you're not following Jesus, that's it. There is no new creation. There is no everything's made right. It's not going to happen. So church, who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? Are you going to be the scoffers in Jesus' hometown? If you're listening out there today, are you going to be the scoffers in Jesus' hometown? The hard-hearted of Jerusalem that wouldn't heed Isaiah's words? Just wouldn't listen. Can't be. Look what God did to us. He let us go to Babylon. He must have forgotten about us. I guess Babylon's gods are better. I don't know. I'm not sure about this whole God thing. I don't know if I can suffer all this. Or the servants of Jesus, willing to suffer, knowing the suffering they face will pale in comparison of the glory that is to come in the new creation. The new heaven, the new earth, where Jesus the Messiah King will rule and reign with suffering forever no more. It's done. It's over. How many times do we say, man, life is just fast. Gosh, life just goes by fast. And the older you get, the faster it goes. Right Now put that in comparison to your suffering. We say that about the good things, but we forget that that's the same thing about the bad things. The bad things go by fast too. They don't feel like it in the moment, but they do. Compared to eternity, 
Our lives are a vapor, a mist, here and then gone. But our eternal glory is forever and ever and ever and ever, where all things are right, where no cries are cried, no tears are cried, no suffering, no death, no grief, no granddad in the hospital, no, no brother that commits suicide. None of that stuff. It's all gone. It's terrible while you're here. But you can either suffer with God or you can suffer without Him. But you're going to suffer either way. Might as well be for a purpose. Might as well be for a reason. So which one are you? Are you the scoffer? Are you the humble of heart that says, yeah, <laughs> your way, God. Following you, Jesus. You're worth it. If you never give me one single worldly blessing in this life, you're still worth following and worshiping. Because you've already given me everything I could possibly have anyway. Spiritual eternity with you. There's nothing that we can describe or get in this life that's better than that. So, what about the hard times we go through? Right? On a practical level. How, how do we do it? How do we help others that are going through it? I've got a few simple things for you to think about. First thing, remember, this is for us individually when we're the ones hurting. Remember where your hope comes from. It's not from the things of this world. It's from God. Things eternal. Things forever. That's our hope. Not that our bank account has enough money in it. Not that we have enough food. None of that stuff. That's, that's all great. It's, it's fun to enjoy, but it's so temporary. Second thing. Remember what, what your hope is. Okay, Remember who it's from, but remember what it is also. Eternity in the presence of God, where no sin, no suffering can exist or will exist. The suffering now is totally and completely temporary. Then, the last few things, when, you're help, when we're helping someone through hard times. So, that's the last part of the list, third through the end. Don't try and fix it. One of the hardest things for guys especially, I know for me personally, it's, it's my personality. We always want to fix the problem. Don't try to fix it. When somebody's suffering through something difficult, don't try and fix it. Just don't. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Not in, not in anything I've ever gone through or read. Fourth thing. This is probably one of my biggest pet peeves. Maybe because of what I went through. Right? With my brother and some of the idiotic, I don't know a better word, idiotic things we had to hear. <laughs> don't use cliches platitudes, which is basically the same thing, but a funny word, or other sayings. Don't use that stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Well, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, and the reason I'm fixing to punch you in the face is because you said that. That's what you want to say when you're suffering. Everything happens for a reason. I know that. God has a better plan. You know, you're going through this because your plan just wasn't very good, and God's plan is better. He's just writing a better story. You know, if it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger. God uses bad things for good. I love that one. The problem with those things is there's just enough truth in and around those things to really confuse somebody. There's truth in those sayings. It's just not the right time for them. And sometimes they're just half-truths, which means also they're half-lies. In the hard situations, all it really makes somebody want to do is cry or punch you. That's it. 
When we say those things, two things are going to happen. They're either going to want to cry, and they probably will, or they're going to want to punch you, and they probably should. And I've said those things too, so I'm not saying this from a point of I've never done this. Stuck my foot in my mouth so many times, it's not even funny. We really the truth is, though, we really only say those things to make our discomfort feel better. It's really what it is. The person's sitting there hurting, they're suffering, and that makes us uncomfortable. So we say something to make us feel better. If you really think about the motivation behind saying those things, that's really what it is. You're trying to make that situation more comfortable, regardless of if it actually helps or not. Number five, tell them you love them, and you're here for them. Don't say any of that other junk. Just say, I love you, and I'm here for you. Whatever that looks like for you, whatever that looks like right now, I'm here for you. And then the key is actually be there when they need you. Again, don't fix it. Just sit there with them in their hurt, in the uncomfortableness of whatever it is. Six, pray. Pray for them. Pray with them. If they want you to pray with them, pray with them. Ask, can I pray with you right now? Now, I know what you're thinking because I've sat there looking at this guy doing all the yapping. You're thinking, easy for you to say, preacher. People expect you to pray with them. Just wish you could put on the shoes one time. I promise you, it's no more comfortable for me to pray for someone in that situation than it would be for you. It's actually a little bit more uncomfortable because I'm supposed to. I have to. They expect me to. And it's supposed to be some type of magical prayer that just fixes everything. Which they know it's not really going to happen, and I know it's not really going to happen. But you still have to do it. So trust me when I say I'm just as uncomfortable in those situations having to pray as you will be. But pray not just for them, but pray with them. Even people who don't believe in God usually welcome prayer in times of suffering. Honestly, they do. Even people that don't believe in God what, whatsoever, they're mad at him, they hate him, they don't want to hear anything about it. In a time of suffering, if you say, you know, can I pray for you? Most of the time they're going to say, absolutely. They might not. They may have to suffer a little bit and be uncomfortable when they say no. But they probably will. And it will plant a seed, and who knows what that seed may grow into. Last thing. Another hard one for me. Johnny, fix it. Don't give advice. Just don't. Unless it's asked for, and when it's asked for, you are certain they actually mean it. <laughs> Sometimes they'll say, what do you think? They don't really, and that's not, probably not the time. Like, make sure, make real, real sure it's time for advice when you give advice in those really hard situations. Right? Just make real sure. And until then, if they don't ask for advice, that doesn't come, then just see the previous numbers. <laughs> do, do the other things before giving advice. Again, I'm not something I'm telling you that I've got all figured out. These are things I've experienced, and I know they help when they're done that way. And I know they don't help when they're done the other way. That I can promise you. So, again, who are you going to be? Scoffer or humble suffering servant? It's our choice, church. It's our choice. We're going to follow him or not. 
we're going to suffer for him or not, temporarily, we're going to suffer for him or not. And in the moments where we have the opportunity to suffer with someone, do that. Suffer with them. Don't try and make it comfortable for you. It doesn't work out very well. I'm going to pray for us uh, to end the, the message, and then I would like for us to have a quick time. I know it's getting close to time to go. Uh, to have a quick time of just prayer together. I know we're not supposed to come down on the altar and all that stuff yet because of everything, but uh, we can do it where we are. It doesn't matter. And just pray for, um, Lord, everything we've got going on, um, you know, between Corona, uh, Miss Browning, um, and everything in between. There's plenty for us to pray for. So I'm going to pray to close the message, and then if we get, we'll just have a short time of prayer together. Uh, the cameras will be off, and, and we'll just... Uh, We'll just spend the last few minutes together praying. Lord God, I come to you this morning, and I uh, thank you for your love, and I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that in a world full of suffering, God, you were wise enough to make suffering have a meaning and a purpose and not just be suffering for suffering's sake. I pray, Lord, that we would be strong enough, bold enough, honest enough, transparent enough to sit in someone suffering with them and not try to explain it away or fix it away or advise it away. Just love and be present in those tough times. As hard as it is, Lord, I pray that you, would, that you would make us bold enough to do things in those situations that make a difference and that bring real glory and real honor to you in those times in the truth, Lord. Thank you for Jesus and that Ultimately, he paid the price for our sins. He bore our transgressions. He bore our many sins so that our suffering would be temporary and that we will experience eternity in a new Jerusalem, excuse me, with you, God, where all things are made right and all things are made new. Lord, we ask for that day. We long for that day, God, but until then, may we be found faithful doing what you've called us to do so that as many people as possible can join in that new Jerusalem, Lord. We thank you and we love you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.